RCMP sharing that a female police officer was stabbed and murdered earlier today in the line of duty at a homeless camp that is between Canada Way, oh, sorry, on Canada Way between Willingdon and Boundary. Uh, joining us uh, in just a few moments is going to be the mayor of Burnaby, Mike Hurley. But first, I wanted to just share a quick clip of uh, one of the callers that we got into the buzz line. I'm just very saddened to hear that that happened. You know, just prayers to the family and and prayers to the to the police officer that lost her life doing her job, which really no person should have happened to them. So, like I said, heartfelt message out to the police officer and God bless her. And her have a good day. Bye. That is going to be a sentiment that's echoed across so many uh, different uh, family dinners tonight as uh, Canadians and British Columbians get together. Uh, joining us now as we take a, a, a really a, a more deeper look into this story, it's the Mayor of Burnaby, Mike Hurley. Mayor Hurley, thank you so much for giving us some time here today. Uh, no worries. Uh, I'm glad to be here with you today uh, on this very unfortunate and devastating day for the city. Absolutely. Uh, so my first question to you, sir, uh, what would be your message to, again, all the people listening, but of course the uh, residents of Burnaby and to the public this afternoon? Well, it's, uh, all I could say is it's a, it's a real tragedy. And, and my thoughts right now are with the, the police officer's family and, uh, and the Burnaby staff who are on scene uh, as well. I mean, they're, they're going through a terrible ordeal right now that uh, you know, a young police officer came to work this morning and, and didn't go home. And that's, uh, that's devastating for all of us. But to the public, I would just like to say, uh, you know, please, uh, please uh, send best wishes uh, to the RCMP officer and to Burnaby staff who are, who are dealing with such a tragedy at this time and, and this very, very, very unfortunate incident. Uh, Mayor Hurley, no community or city across the Lower Mainland is immune to homelessness, but has violence of this magnitude, has this been an issue or is this a a more escalated and new type of response? Again, I can't personally recall such an incident like this in in recent memory. Yeah, well, I think we have seen with the the new uh, type of drugs that that, uh, are being handled out there and the the new types of mental health issues that... uh, that, you know, we're really starting to see an escalation. I don't know if it's impatience for something to happen or, um, or you know, just, just uh, you know, in general, where people are looking for places to live and can't find places to live. But I'm seeing a lot more frustration and violence. So we've seen that since, especially since COVID uh, and when the drug, chain, the drug supply chain started to change. And, and the drug supply became very different. Uh, we, have, we have been noticing a lot more violence. Uh, we're in conversation with the mayor of Burnaby, Mike Hurley. Uh, mayor, how will this impact your approach in dealing with homelessness in the city of Burnaby? Is this a turning point for you? Well, of course, we have to relook at, at everything we do and uh, how we're approaching homeless to ensure we're keeping police and our staff safe uh, because... You know, more and more in our wooded areas, we're seeing, you know, some tents being set up, and we try to move them along, try to find them uh, places to stay. But uh, often you're just moving at 500 yards on the road, or, or and uh, you know, it's 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 really becoming a big job to stay on top of this, and and really, uh, there needs to be a real issue. Or there needs to be real solutions found 
to what's the root cause of all that's going on, rather than trying to plug the dikes like like we have been doing, I think over the last number of years, and I think you know we we really need to tackle the homeless issue, uh, the mental health issues, and the drug related issues. I believe with the same seriousness we did uh, for the pandemic, and uh, really need to get on this and ensure that we're finding real solutions and not just temporary solutions. But certainly. Uh, you know, we'll be reviewing how we're handling homeless situations and how we're handling when a tent is set up in a park, uh, how that's going to be handled in the future. But it's too early for me to speculate on what that might be at this time. I fully understand that. And, sir, uh, you know, we, we know that bylaw officers were on location during this incident today. Uh, without getting into specifics, uh, generally speaking, what do bylaw officers do at encampments like this one? Like, what role would they play uh, needing, uh, again, the presence of a Burnaby RCMP officer like today? Well, we, you know, we have a team within our parks, engineering, and, and sometimes with bylaw officers, that, uh, that go in and talk to people in encampments, as I said. If there is, that wasn't an encampment today, by the way. It was just a single tent. Oh, pardon me. Yes. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, it's really been phrased wrong in the media. It was a single tent in a park. At least that's what I've been told. Um, so, you know, they'll usually go speak with the, the people and say, look, uh, you can't be here uh, and offer them up opportunities to go to to a shelter or to uh, go talk to people who handle our shelters about being moved into indoors into some type of, of other arrangement. My phone's ringing up though. Um, and it starts out there and then we give them, uh, they usually give them notice that we'll be moving this in camp with this tent or this two or three tents will be moving it along in the next 48 hours mm-hmm. and you need to prepare for that and uh and and usually that's how we go about it and then we clean the site up and uh but unfortunately uh that's as i said earlier that usually just means you're moving them along to somewhere else and, and final question for you mayor we do appreciate you giving us some time here today on uh, on such a tragic but important day here uh, you know you mentioned what this impact will do for police officers dealing uh, reeling really more than anything the loss of one of their own uh, to the men and women that make up the Burnaby RCMP, the ones that uh, selflessly, you know, go out and do their duties every single day, uh, your message to them as well to just reassure them that uh, the city has their back and perhaps a little bit of support here uh, during some very challenging times. Well, I, I believe that all the RCMP officers in Burnaby certainly know I have their back. I came from uh, emergency service background and, and I talked to the RCMP many times, but I could I can assure all the RCMP officers that mayor and council are with them and will supply what they need uh, to try and help them through this devastating incident and work with them uh, moving forward to ensure uh, safer and and whatever is needed to ensure the safety of RCMP officers, the public, and, of course, our own staff, too. Uh, He is the mayor of Burnaby, Mike Hurley. Mayor, thank you so much for giving us some time here today. Uh, No problem. Thank you.
Shifting gears here for just a, a moment, of course, uh, we're coming off a, a significant weekend where, again, voters uh, went to the polls and had a chance to exercise their democratic rights, uh, democratic rights, pardon me. And uh, indeed, in Surrey, one of the most compelling races throughout the entire election, in my opinion, uh, we saw really a changing of the guard in a sense. Uh, here is something I want to play for you, something that uh, Doug McCallum, the incumbent, of course, uh, had said uh, really following the results of what we thought was going to be the final say in the election. But just take a listen to Doug McCallum. As I sit here tonight, I do have a bit of a smile on my face and uh, because I've worked hard for the city for many years. And it's maybe... And, and maybe it's time for me to uh, finally put my feet up a little bit and enjoy life. Wouldn't that have been an appropriate way to wrap things up? But instead, we're seeing that uh, the, uh, the the one and only Doug McCallum shifting gears quite a bit and will be challenging, in a sense, uh, the final results of that election. But let's focus on the city council side of things. Uh, Linda Annis joining us here. Uh, Linda, of course, was an incumbent. And in fact, Linda is back as a Surrey city councillor representing Surrey first. Linda, thank you for giving us some time here today. Thank you for having me. Uh, Linda, I, you know, when I say that you're just an incumbent, uh, I'm, I'm really underselling you because of all the candidates out there for a Surrey City Councillor, you earned the most votes with 35,222 votes. So you secured your position quite comfortably. That being said, Linda, do you ever get used to election night? Like, what, what does that feel like just waiting as the, uh, the clock ticks by, ticks away, and you're just kind of uh, hoping to see what the results are going to be like? Well, it was a very interesting night, and I have to say lots of jitters on my part, lots of nervousness. You never know what voter turnout's going to be, and I can only say thank goodness to a very understanding family. <laughs> family first, I think, is a good way to put it, but Surrey first is the party that you represent. Uh, we'll get your thoughts on Doug McCallum here in just a moment, because, boy, that story just never seems to go away. Uh, Linda, over the next four years, I think a lot of Surrey residents will be curious to see what exactly is going to be the future uh, with with City Hall, uh, with the mayor's office. What do you think the next four years truly represent? Well, we have to get down to business. The last four years have been a very divisive council. Not much has got done unless it was Doug's idea. Mm. And I think we need to work much more collaboratively as a team. And I'm quite confident that this will happen. Right. is really like the next four years, of course, new developments, new proposals, all of that matters. But is it also just as important to sort of remind the people that the mayor's office and city council, it's supposed to be an organization and an entity that people can trust, that people are inspired by, which might not have been the final result that we kind of got over the past four years, as you mentioned? Absolutely. What we need to be looking at, how can we engage better with our residents? I think the residents of Surrey have felt shut out in many, many of the decisions that were made. Uh, lack of information coming to them, their inability to be able to reach out and talk directly to the mayor and to council. One of the things that I tried to do last time was I did a notice of motion that would allow residents of Surrey to come and speak for five minutes before a council meeting, uh, on any topic that mm. they wish to speak about. So if you've got a problem with your sidewalk, or you've got an idea about some sort of sports facility we should build or, you know, uh, park benches or whatever your, your idea or concern might be, you would have an opportunity to come and speak before council. This motion, unfortunately, was not passed. And uh, 
during the reign of Doug McCallum, the only time that people could come and speak to council was if you were talking about a development application, and that's mm. just wrong. Right, yeah. So I think, indeed, getting the public more involved, having the interaction to hear what they're trying to say and having a chance to have real, meaningful discourse between City Hall, City Council, and the constituents that live in Surrey, I think is such an important step. Uh, how excited are you to also share that seat with uh, Mike Bose, who's uh, going to be representing Surrey first as well? I'm very excited to be sharing uh, it with Mike Bose. You know, he comes from a long history of uh, uh, politics in his mm-hmm. family, and I know he's going to be a phenomenal uh, candidate. Mike um, actually uh, was responsible for bringing the Agricultural Advisory Committee to City Hall. And I might add, one of the things that Doug McCallum did was he virtually got rid of all the committees, and that's another way that I know Mike and you know, the team will be wanting to uh, do is get these committees brought back so that we can work with the, the experts um, you know, in the residents and the businesses uh, here in Surrey to get their ideas about what we should be doing around development, what we should be doing agriculture, environment, programs for seniors. Those are all committees that we should be engaged with um, with residents, uh, but we, we basically shut them out, mm. uh, and we need to change that. Uh, we're in conversation with Linda Annis, uh, recently re-elected to Surrey City Council, representing Surrey First. Uh, Linda, I'm sure you've had conversations with Brenda already uh, with her big win as the new mayor of Surrey, but you and her have been tied uh, together for the past four years, and I'm certain beyond that as well. Uh, what do you think uh, of Brenda's future as the mayor of Surrey and, and how that's going to work with the um, the number of councillors that uh, she brought on as well via Surrey Connect and the relationship that you two will have moving forward? Well, one of the things that I think Mayor-elect Locke needs to be sure that she does is bring council together and Mm. get us working together as a group again. Uh, And certainly this was not here um, in the past, uh, you know, four years under the reign of Doug McCallum. I think that's day one she needs to get on that. That needs to be her number one priority. Now, when you say bring in the whole city council together, I think Doug McCallum has brought a lot of people together in a sigh of exasperation because that clip I played at the beginning of our chat with you, uh, it's just it's perplexing, Linda, that he could say those things and then do a quick 180 uh, in this current position. So for those that might not be in the know, uh, Doug McCallum essentially going to challenge, uh, go through the legal process, whatever options are available to him, because he has less than a 1000 vote discrepancy between him and Brenda Locke, who was named the winner of the election. Linda, like, what's your position on all this? Is it just time for Doug to walk away and enjoy retirement here? Or, I mean, like, is this a desperate ploy to just stay as relevant for as long as possible? This sounds like a very desperate ploy and absolutely ridiculous to me. If he lost by 10 votes or 15 votes, right. absolutely. Like, approximately 1,000 votes is a big margin here. It's a huge margin, and, it, you know, it's another cost. I mean, I don't know if he thinks the residents of Surrey are ATMs, but this is another cost that he's wanting to throw at uh, the residents. And, like, it, this is just wrong. You know, when you don't win, accept defeat and mm. move on. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're putting it very nicely there. And, and final question for you, Linda. I mean, that car that he's returning here, it's become such a big deal. I mean, look, I, we all get into certain accidents. That's why we call them accidents. That's why we have insurance. But being honest about what the heck has happened here, that would go a long way to, again, maybe wrap up your time in public office the right way. To me, it's a huge disrespect for city property. It's a city car. Yeah. And to- just do this with absolutely no explanation. Who knows what happened, but he should 
tell people and, and get rid of the doubt. When you have that big dark cloud over you, it just creates more dark clouds. And I think he needs to come forward. Again, it's another way that he is just not treating the taxpayers in the way that they should be treated. And this is this car is owned by the taxpayers. Right. They deserve an explanation. Uh, Linda, I'm looking forward to the next four years of uh, fresh air in Surrey. And uh, thank you so much for giving us your time. And congratulations again. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. We'll bring you to the city of Langley, where one of the youngest candidates for mayor in any riding was indeed elected into office over this past weekend. It is my pleasure to introduce you to and welcome his CKNW debut, in fact, Nathan Pahal, mayor-elect for Langley City. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you very much, and uh, good afternoon. Now, when we say that you are the newest mayor of Langley City, I haven't done the homework here, Nathan, but you might also be the youngest mayor of Langley City. Uh, you shared with me that you are uh, 39 years old, and I, and I bring this up as the number one point because I think it's very fascinating and inspiring. So for, for full transparency, I'm a 32-year-old radio host, and I'm having a conversation here with the next mayor of Langley City who's also in his 30s. I think if most people were to watch, uh, walk by you and I, Nathan, having a chat in person, uh, at, at like a cafe or something, they would just think that we were like university students, right? But that, like the, the truth of it is, there's two working professionals here, one that has uh, the title of mayor of Langley City and another that has radio host. And I think it just speaks volumes to maybe, again, the power of youth going into politics here a little bit. Yeah, it's really important. And I know there's been some conversations about a millennial voice, but just talking to residents in my community uh, they were just saying, yeah, I mean, we're looking for sort of some fresh faces, some fresh ideas. I got that a lot on the door. So whether it's an older person or a younger person, and I heard it across um, age demographics, uh, people are just looking for fresh ideas. And I think it all boils down to um, folks just want people who can uh, get down to business and move our communities forward in a meaningful way. As you know, there's a, there's a lot of challenges in our communities that we need to address. And uh, they're just looking for folks with, uh, with solutions and fresh ideas. Right. And I think that's a, a very refreshing sort of approach to how uh, city politics will be handled at Langley City for the next four years. And I think maybe, let me put it this way, Nathan, having conversations with a lot of my friends who grew up in Langley City, as uh, I did myself, one of the words that kept popping up when I asked them, you know, what do you think about uh, the new mayor of Langley and what do you think this will mean for the city? The word that kept popping up was unity. What do you think that means when people are saying that the word unity is what comes to mind when they think and hear your name? Yeah, so what I think we saw again across the, the province is people are looking for uh, councils that can just get down to business. We have a lot of work to do. And uh, yeah, that's what that's what they elected us, us for. I'm looking forward to working with we have three incumbents and we have three fresh faces. So that's going to be a really good mix of people with some of that institutional knowledge. So we can ask them questions about what it was like. And then people who are, you know, eager and willing to to do what's best in the community. And what I really like is um, the diversity that that can bring. So, I mean, I will be the, the, the first to admit that um, we have a good mix of age mm-hmm. and, um, and gender diversity, but we're still very much majority white council. Uh, so there's work to do in that regard to more accurately um, represent our demographics. But still, seeing that uh, in the council in the age ranges 
represented means that we're going to get better solutions. Representation matters, and I think that much uh, cannot be overstated. We are in conversations uh, with the mayor-elect of Langley City, Nathan Pahal. Uh, Nathan, moving forward, what what are going to be your your key issues with Langley? I mean, when you look across the Lower Mainland, there seems to be a theme. Of course, it's affordability, it's housing, it's uh, safety and security. But what will be some of the main issues that you really want to tackle immediately working with council? All of our our councillors ran on very similar campaigns because the issues are very present in Langley City. Homelessness and reducing homelessness, getting people uh, who are living rough the help and support they need so they don't live rough anymore is going to be issue one or two. Community safety is so important. So we kind of think about, you know, maybe police or bylaws or a fire service in isolation. Before the election, I put forward a motion to have a citizens assembly where we'll look at a basically a, a holistic uh, view on how we respond to these challenges across our enterprise as a, as a municipality. We've never done that before mm. so that we can effectively uh, make sure that when someone reports in an issue, whether it's an engineering issue, whether it's a police issue, they actually might have the same root cause. So we can look at that and say, okay, well now how do we address that root cause? I'm really excited for that. I hope other members of council are excited uh, talking to people like the the former mayor of, of Edmonton, saying, you know, how do you approach these issues? He said, you got to do a citizens assembly because it brings again the views from your community. So you basically go out and and make sure that you get a representative sample of your community. You compensate them for their time because we know that people, you know, sometimes don't have the opportunity to volunteer, busy with children, you know, working two jobs, right? And you combine them with experts and and lay out the challenges and then really dive deep into the solution. So that I'm very excited uh, to, to start that process uh, going. And then finally, with affordable housing, we are um, a, a community with a lot of older housing with SkyTrain coming, there's going to be a lot more redevelopment. So we need to make sure that we're investing in affordable housing, make sure we're not displacing people that already live in our community and really building a place where um, the average worker can call home. Final question to you, Nathan, and I, again, appreciate you giving us some time here today. But, you know, going back to uh, your age, I, I just want to clarify, just because you're younger doesn't mean you're any less experienced or qualified. You were a two-term councillor before running for mayor in this most recent election. But I am curious, what got you into politics at such an early age? Like, At, at what age did you, as a young man, say, this is what I want to do when I grow up? Uh, I was in a bookstore in Portland, Oregon called Powell's. It's very big. And I saw a section on urban planning Hmm. and it was very engaging for me. And I picked up a bunch more books and uh, got engaged with issues around, you know, reactivating the inner urban. So there was a train that used to run from downtown Vancouver to Chilliwack. They ripped up the tracks in 1955, burned the cars, I think, on the side of the Broad Bridge. Uh, and that said, hey, you know, maybe we should start thinking about uh, sustainable transportation options and uh, why did we make these poor decisions? And all of that sort of just got me more involved into, hey, maybe we should do something about this. And then it moved to sustainable communities. Then people were like, well, you're advocating for a lot of stuff in Langley. Why don't you just run for council? <laughs> for the parents uh, listening to t- today's program, uh, there you go. From the mayor of Langley City himself, if you want your ch- killed, uh, kids and children to be future leaders, Bring them to more bookstores. Who knows? All it takes is one book. And now look at uh, what we have as the, the next mayor of Langley City. It's going to be very exciting. Nathan, thank you so much for giving us some time here today. Uh, thank you very much.
In just a few moments, we'll be connecting with our good friend Mario Canseco uh, from the Research Co. Polling Company, talking about the low voter turnout in BC's most recent municipal elections that was held uh, just over this past weekend. Uh, earlier today on CKNW, Bruce Claggett, who was filling in for Mike Smith, spoke with Duff Conacher, the founder of Democracy Watch, on why we saw such historically low turnout for voters this past election. Take a listen here. What's uh, happening is that people have seen decades of politicians making false promises to them or being dishonest, misleading them while in office, being unethical, secretive, wasteful with their hard-earned money, and overall not making representative decisions, a lot of times making deals behind closed doors with big businesses that are not in the public interest. And when you watch that for decades and tell your kids about all these things you've witnessed, they're they're raised not expecting much from candidates and uh, not really seeing a reason to vote because a vote is a reference letter to someone who's seeking a job. And why would you give a reference letter to someone who you think is lying to you or is uh, going to cheat you in some way? All right. So skepticism, it's a classic reason why people don't like to vote. But did that really play such a significant role in the most recent municipal elections? Joining us now to talk more on this is Mario Canseco, the president of the Research Coat Polling Company. Good afternoon, Mario. Good afternoon, John. Great to be here with you. Yeah, glad to have you here, sir. Now, as we take a look and try to explain the narratives, if you will, taking a listen to what Duff just had to say uh, earlier today with Bruce Claggett, uh, do you buy into that, Mario? Does that explain it for you? Is that the one tidy reason why we didn't see so many voters out over the weekend? Well, I think uh, usually we assume that a change election is going to have a significantly large voter turnout. And what we've seen over the past few electoral cycles municipally, particularly in the big cities, is uh, an obsession with getting the vote out, with Mm. knowing uh, who your voters are, establishing that level of report, knowing that uh, roughly a third of people are going to show up and cast a ballot. And I think this is why many campaigns just play it safe. You know, we're going to keep things as we are. As, as we have them, if you're the incumbent or we're going to do changes that are mm. certainly not particularly dramatic, you know, there is no big campaign promise. And, and I think that is one of the reasons for the numbers to be where they are. Aside from the complexity of being handed a ballot with more than 100 names in the case of Vancouver, almost 70 names in the case of Surrey, learning about specific jurisdictions and bodies that you're electing, it can be very daunting. And I think this is the reason why turnout is significantly higher provincially and federally than than it is municipally. Well, interesting, because you mentioned the provincial and federal turnouts, but yet I feel like, Mario, perhaps election fatigue also plays a general role in this as well. Canadians, especially British Columbians, uh, since uh, early 2020, we've had, what, like three major elections, maybe four now, (laughs) and it just feels like, my goodness, when will it end? And Mario, like, you go on social media, you go on Twitter or Instagram, everyone likes to share the little sticker, right? Like, I voted, I want you to go and do it as well. Like, social media is supposed to make voting cool and hip and popular, but we're not seeing that with the numbers that we're seeing over the past couple of elections. We certainly are not. You know, we've had an opportunity to vote every year. 2018 municipal, only 42%. 2019 federal, 76 So that sounds a lot better. Mm-hmm. 2020 provincial, uh, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, 55% of people cast mm-hmm. a ballot. Then we had similar numbers, 2021 for the federal election, 75%, and now 37 uh, Significantly low, partly because of 
the difficulties in the system, but also the complexities of how the campaign works. You know, it, and I'm not suggesting that we should amalgamate, but in a place like Toronto, where mm-hmm. you amalgamate, it's a lot easier for the media to cover things. You know, if we start talking right now about the township of Langley, somebody who lives in Port Moody is going to say, well, I don't care about that. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to run campaigns and to engage uh, voters when you have a larger municipality where everybody is going to be engaged in things uh, than having dif- 21 different municipalities like we do here in Metro Vancouver. Uh, we're in conversation with Mario Canseco, the president of the Research Co. polling company. Mario, like, do we treat this as a weird trend that, uh, you know, you, you take it with a bit of a grain of salt because I wonder, like, the BC NDP, obviously right now they're dealing with leadership issues. They're trying to make David Eby the leader as soon as possible. And assuming that does take place, you would imagine the BC NDP would like to call a provincial election soon. Kevin Falcon is in position. He's ready to go at any time. And yet... Based on what we just saw over this past weekend, if a provincial election is to happen within the next like you know year and a half, uh, what do you think that's going to do? Like, could we see weird, unexpected things when voters eventually decide to show up at the polls? Well, I think there's a couple of factors at play that are quite crucial. One of them is the uh, heightened level of concern about healthcare. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have healthcare as the number one issue for almost 25% of residents at any point in the past 20 years. It's always been economy and jobs. Uh, then the environment and over the past five, six years, it's been housing more than anything. And now you have the over 55 voter particularly preoccupied with healthcare. So if the BC Liberals connect on the healthcare file, uh, I think they have a shot at winning the next Mm. election. And it's something that the BC NDP needs to be careful about. We just saw what happened with candidates who who devoted their entire platform to housing. Uh, They didn't do very well. I Mm. think people understand that this is an issue that is quite complex to, to be solved fairly quickly. So it's a delicate balance. How do you connect on housing with the younger population who thinks this is your jurisdiction? And how do you make sure that healthcare is there for the over 55s who are now starting to worry about it? Uh, it's definitely problematic. And, and in a way, I think David Eby, even when he comes in and becomes the, next, the, the head of a, a government, mm-hmm. um, has a larger runway. You know, it's not a situation where he needs to call the election uh, in the same fashion as Danielle Smith next door. That has to happen in the next six months. Right. David Eby has a little more time to essentially plan uh, to be in winning conditions if he has to call the next election. Is uh, Canada approaching the education of, ele- uh, of voting? Are, are we doing it the right way? Like, I-, I wonder how they do it in Europe as opposed to the way we do it in North America because it feels like young people just don't know enough about why their vote really matters, especially at the municipal level. It feels like we have it backwards. The federal election is the most popular election, and yet a lot of the times those policies won't directly impact your day-to-day, whereas the municipal election is the least popular and it's the most impactful for your day-to-day. Why do you think we have this big ignorance to the way things actually work? Well, you're absolutely right. It's It has to do a lot with ignorance. I think part of it starts at the home. If you are surrounded by people who are always saying that politicians are crooks and nothing will ever get done, <laughs> you'll grow up with a cynical view of politics and you won't cast a ballot. The other issue that is interesting is the way in which people become engaged. And there are certain ways in which we could try to do something like this. Uh, Mandatory voting, which is done in Australia, for instance. Mm. Uh, People are worried that that is going to lead to all sorts of crazy parties. But we haven't seen any uh, crazy party forming the government in Australia. I think people understand after 10, 20 years that this is something that they have to do. And it's part of their civic duty. Whereas here, people just sort of don't care because it's too complicated. Maybe you're somebody who's just turned 19 or 20. It's your first opportunity to vote in a mm. municipal election. 
trying to learn about the school board and how many council votes you have and, that, and essentially trying to navigate your way with so much information is a problem. Uh, part of the issue for me is how easy it is to run in these elections. All you need is 25 signatures and $100. This is one of the reasons why we have so many names that aren't really going to win the election, but that you still need to read because maybe they're saying something that is interesting. It's a very good point. Uh, the city of Vancouver's mayoral election, I think, had, what was it, over 200 candidates? Maybe, maybe I'm making that number up, but certainly a lot, and really only like a handful serious candidates. So maybe like increasing the, the qualification limit is, uh, is a smart way to go about it. But how we're going to figure out the low voter turnout, Mario, if you and I, if we had the answer right now, we would be millionaires. But unfortunately, not yet the case. But Mario, thank you so much for giving us some time here today. My pleasure, John. Anytime. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.